This morning's Bible reading is Luke chapter 23, verses 33 to 38 and 44 to 49. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 to 38 and verses 44 to 49. When they came to the place called a skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. The death of Jesus. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. away fighting in the wars um, when Roman, Rome was extending their territory. He was um, quelling rebellions in different territories because, of course, the emperor always charges high taxes and the conquered people don't like that. So Pontius has had a good career and he rose up in rank um, and has contr- had control of many soldiers. And you know, I'm so proud of his achievements. A few years ago, a high official in the Emperor's bodyguard recommended Pontius for the position of Governor of Judea. Now, I wasn't very happy about moving that far away from Rome, to be quite honest. I mean, who wants to go somewhere far away? But when we got here, we have a palace in Caesarea. 
on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. We get lovely sea breezes every evening and it's just a pleasant place to live. And it's close enough to Jerusalem that Pontius and can take the army up to Jerusalem and quell any rebellions that happen there. Now, when we came, come to Jerusalem, we stay in the fortress of Antonia. Now, that was built by us Romans, and we decided we would build it next to the temple so that it's taller than the temple, so that we can look down into the temple courts and see what's happening without, of course, entering the premises. Now, it's quite strict, the Jewish religion, and we're not allowed, because we are Gentiles, we're not allowed to go into the temple. We have a, there's one courtyard called the um, courtyard for Gentiles, and Gentiles can go there and pray, but all the rest of the courts are barred. And there are notices up that say, on pain of death, we must not enter that. So we decided that that was a good place for us to build. Now, I wish I could say that my husband had been a good governor, but to be quite honest, He'd made, he's made some quite serious mistakes. There was a situation in which he decided that a show of strength was necessary. So during the night, he had the army bring in flags and shields that um, show images of the emperor. And when the Jews got up in the morning here, are all of these things which defiled the city of Jerusalem. The Jews were outraged and they um, came to Pontius. Some of them laid down on the ground, bared their necks and said, kill, kill us if you won't remove these from the city. And others said, the leaders said, this is no good. We need to protest to the emperor. So a delegation was sent to the emperor in Rome complaining about Pontius's behaviour. It wasn't a good thing. And then more recently, Pontius decided that he needed to look after the water supply in Jerusalem. So what did he do? He went to the temple and took the money which the offerers had brought to give to their god and the Jews were not at all happy. So again, that this, there was a great protest, but Pontius was ahead of the people. He got his soldiers just to look like ordinary citizens with their swords hidden, and on a given signal, they all came out and slaughtered the Jews who were in the protest. Well, that was, you can see why he was so unpopular. Well now, back to this week and why it was so unusual. It's the seven day feast of Passover. And Jews come from all over the empire to Jerusalem to worship and celebrate together. 
And talk of rebellion against the Romans is never very far from the fortress. So Pontius and I, we came up to the fortress of Antonia with the army, a number of army officers, because we felt that a military presence was important. So from my window, I've been watching the temple courts below. Five days ago, when the pilgrims were still coming into the city of Jerusalem, a great commotion arose on the Mount of Olives just above the, the city. And a young teacher or prophet, I'm not certain what, from Galilee was coming. He got on a donkey and rode the donkey down the hill with all the pilgrims who were around really getting very excited, waving palm branches, putting their coats on the way for the donkey to walk and just praising their God. Now, we Romans know how to do a good procession and this certainly, compared to the processions in Rome, was not too impressive. We Romans, when our armies come back from their wars, they bring gifts for the emperor, they bring thousands of prisoners of war who then are sold as slaves and they bring the loot that they've got from temples, from the cities, from the aristocracy, and bring it all to Rome, just with the glory that that then brings to Rome. Now, this teacher, when he came, he might have had excited crowds, but he brought nothing with him, just people. And so um, this was, well, it was a kind of interesting procession. Now he entered the temple and when he did, his followers were all shouting, Hosanna, King David's son has come. The children were running around out of control, shouting and singing and having a wonderful time. And the priests were furious at their behaviour. Then the young man suddenly went over to where there were people selling animals for sacrifice, lambs, um, goats, doves. Uh, some of them even had, there were a few cows and bulls there. And where the money changers were who were converting our Roman coinage. Don't ask me why Roman coinage isn't good enough for their God. But you had to give their God special coinage. He went over to them. He shouted out, my house is a place for prayer, not for robbery. And knocked over the tables of the money changers and had a whip and got rid of all the animals and their sellers. Wow, wow. The authority, the authorities were fuming. But they couldn't do anything against him because he was so popular. Now, for the rest of the week, I was at my window quite considerably, a considerable amount of time watching to see what would happen. And the young man turned up early every morning and crowds of people came to the temple to hear him teach. 
There were a few beggars around the temple who he healed. They always congregate around religious places. And I could see that the authorities were getting more and more and more unhappy. Now, I couldn't hear what this young man was saying because I was too far away, but he seemed as if he had time for everyone. Young, old, important, unimportant. You know, he looks like the kind of young man that any mother would be proud of. I had a strange dream about him last night. He's been bothering me. He's been such a good man. Maybe it was a premonition, but I dreamt that the Jewish authorities were about to kill him. Not because of anything wrong he had done, but because he was good. Somehow he seems to attract people to him. But the authorities, the chief priests, the leaders, the teachers of the law are really jealous of his popularity. After the dream, I couldn't get back to sleep. I tossed and turned all night, worrying about him and his future. Who would want to kill a righteous man? I was woken up at first light this morning. I don't usually wake at that time, but I heard a great disturbance below at the gates of the fortress. And when I looked down, there was this young man bound with strong ropes in the middle of a number of temple guards, their soldiers and their important leaders. And they were loudly demanding my husband come out and try him because they'd already tried him during the night, which was illegal. Actually, they'd arrested him during the night in a little olive grove near the city brought him down and there was a kind of kangaroo court that they um, had trying to work out how they were going to accuse him. Well, they, whatever they presented was not very reasonable, but they convicted him and they passed the death sentence on him. However, according to our Roman rules, they are not allowed to carry it out. So they had to come to Pontius and get him to give his verdict. Well, they ushered the young man into the judgment hall while Pilate was very busy trying to get ready for the hearing. And my servants told me when the evidence was presented, there were flaws and contradictions everywhere. The young man remained silent to all the accusations. Anyone who was like me, who knew anything about him, who'd watched him, would know that this man wasn't a troublemaker. But it seems the chief priests and the elders just wanted him dead. My husband could see through all their actions and decided to release him. So he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And the young fellow immediately answered, yes, you say so. But my kingdom is not of this world. I wish he'd not been so ready to incriminate himself. Then my husband asked him, do you hear how many things they're accusing you of? But amazingly, the young man made no reply. 
he was obviously innocent and in a strange way seemed to be in control. It wasn't my husband or the Jews which were in control. The servant said it felt quite creepy, as if he really wanted to die. Now I had to do something before Pontius did something that he would regret later. I don't often <laughs> interfere in my husband's government matters, but I was very afraid for his future. I called my most trusted servant and I sent him with a message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered many things in a dream because of him. I just wanted him to be released. It's obvious he was innocent. Now Pontius knows that he's on his last warning from the emperor before he'll lose his job. If only he'd do what was right and just and respect the Jews and their religion. He appeared to be trying to acquit the young man. He announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Relief swept over me. He would be released. But still the Jews kept on shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Finally, they said, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. You know, immediately I knew that my husband would waver. He considers his career far more important than doing what is right or wrong. Pontius asked for a bowl of water, <coughs> washed his hands in full view of all the people and announced, I'm innocent of this man's blood. He wasn't, but the crowd were delighted. Let his blood be on us and our children, they cried. The decision was made. Pontius took the easy way out and gave in to evil. Then he had the young man flogged and led away to be crucified. You know, it's the most horrible way to die. We Romans use it a lot, not on Romans, but on the people we conquer. It's publicly humiliating, painful and slow. And it informs the population this will happen to you if you rebel against us. Many criminals last on their crosses for days. Actually, the wounds don't kill them. They slowly suffocate because as their body tires, it slumps down. And the only way of them taking their next breath is to pull themselves up on the nails on their feet and on the nails on their hand. Terrible. Well, the people will often offer the people on a cross drugged wine to kind of ease the pain. Now our soldiers made this man and his two companions carry their crosses through the streets to the place of execution just outside the city. They nailed his hands and his feet to the cross 
jammed a crown of thrones, sorry, a crown of thorns on his head because he claimed to be king and dropped the base of the cross into the hole they had dug. He cried out in the pain, but what amazed our soldiers was that he didn't swear at them like most of the others would. He asked his God to forgive them. Now, this was a routine job for our soldiers. So a centurion and three others just had to see that none of the followers or friends or family came to rescue anyone on the cross. And also, if the crowds became a bit unruly, they needed to keep them in control. But for them, it was just a sit and wait job. They threw a dice to distribute the clothing between them. And they, uh, this young man had a woven, seamless piece of um, a garment. It was the only valuable thing he possessed. You know, I'm pleased to know that someone who loved him wove it for him. Well, the soldiers just sat and waited while the Jewish leaders and the crowds who came to watch laughed and mocked at seeing that he was a king. As our soldiers observed him, they were pretty amazed at this young man because it was reported to me that in spite of his predicament, he didn't scream out answers to all the mocking. But he did ask his friend to care for his mother and he offered comfort to one of the other people on the cross. Most unusual. Actually, then it became rather creepy. It was midday and it became quite dark. It wasn't that a storm was coming. It wasn't an eclipse of the sun. There was just no explanation. I'm not sure of what the reason was, but it almost seemed to be because of this young man. I wondered whether it was something to do with the gods. Maybe the gods were angry that an innocent man was dying. I wondered whether he was a king in the realm of the gods, a god king. I believe he called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now the Jews only have one God, we've got lots. But this young man called him father. Maybe his father, God, had deserted him. I don't know. It stayed dark for three hours and then the young man cried out loudly, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then he said, It is finished. And he died. No one dies of crucifixion in three hours. That's the point of crucifixion, to make them suffer for a long time. I believe it was almost as if he gave up his life. The centurion couldn't help seeing that this man was different. He praised the God of the Jews and he told people he was sure that this young man was a son of God and certainly a righteous person, not deserving of death. I wonder why the centurion praised God. 
it's a bit of a puzzle to me. If this young man was righteous and the God of the Jews was his father, then he himself was a God and possibly a king. But gods don't die unless they choose to because they're gods. It almost seems to me as if he knew he had to die and he did it willingly. He certainly seemed in control of his trial and of his moment of death. Maybe this is something, part of something much bigger that we all can imagine. Maybe this is something that his God had planned for him to do to lay down his life for all humanity. Now, none of us finds it easy to do right. We all fail to do what we think we should. But in some way, this innocent young man seemed to lay down his life for us all. Did he do it for me? Did he do it for Pontius? Did he do it for the soldiers? And those people, the leaders of the Jews? And all humanity? I'm not too certain. It seemed to me as if it was a righteous person suffering for unrighteous people. I don't know. I'll have to think about this. Did he lay down his life for me? Maybe he did. Well, I've talked long enough. Thanks for listening. I wonder what you think about this. Maybe you need time to think. Well, I'll be off. Let me know if you hear anything more. I expect there'll be more to come. See you later.